So last week we, we looked at meals as enacted community. Um, and if you can remember, for those of you guys that were here, we had a look at how Jesus modeled the acceptance of a woman who found herself on the margins of community. And some of the points we took away from that was the fact that um, Jesus welcomes sinners. And on the other end of that, there's this idea that sinners welcome Jesus, which brings to us a challenge in terms of how we understand and engage with those who haven't yet um, met Jesus. Um, throughout the Gospels, we see highlighted how often Jesus teaches about his kingdom within the context of meals. Um, and while the purpose of Jesus' mission is to come to seek and save the lost and to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many, he adopts this strategy of eating and drinking. And he does so with others as a means of embodying the salvation that he brings as the Messiah. But then despite Jesus' great love for people as we read through the scriptures, we see Jesus actually confessing that he had been described in Luke chapter 7 as a glutton and a drunkard, um, someone who came eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, which kind of gives us an interesting perspective of how Jesus was viewed in that time um, as, as this person who came and, you know, he gives you that perspective that oh, he, was, he was ready for it and he was willing to spend time with people who found themselves outside of the accepted community. And so this evening we're going to continue with this theme, with this series, and we'll be looking at meals as enacted mission. Mission, being sent out. Now mission, as we know, is part of our DNA as followers of Jesus. We have right here in our midst people who have given their lives to mission. Missions, being sent out to bear witness is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private thing, it's not a tribal thing or a national or an ethnic privilege. The joy of knowing Christ is for everybody. And, and that's why we tell others. Because we ourselves have tasted the joy of knowing Jesus and the opportunity to worship him. There's this guy who some of us here would know quite well who says something very striking about missions. His name is John Piper. And some of you would have heard this quote before, but this is what he says about, about missions. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So this evening we're going to be looking, as we think about this topic of missions, 
um, we're going to looking at two stories again, two stories that are really fam- that we are really familiar with. That as Sunday school children we would have engaged with the story, and it's a story that stays with us um, until we actually go to meet Jesus face to face. Within the story, the, these two stories, there are some differences um, that I think is going to point out to us something about Jesus and how he views and wants us to engage with mission. And he again uses meals as this central point, this place around which we gather. As we look at the stories, you'll notice again, there are going to be some of those themes that we encountered in the other stories. Um, We're going to see some of that again. You know, we'll see God's love. We'll see his grace his mercy, his, his compassion present in all he does. Um, and then we'll see some other things here as well, we hope. As we read it, there are some things that I want you guys to look out for. Um, look out for where it happens. Um, and then there are numbers mentioned in the stories. Take note of the numbers. Um, and what is left out in the one but mentioned in the other that also um, adds to it. Uh, is there someone who would like to read for us? So the stories we're going to look at is the feeding of the 5,000, and then the next one is the feeding of the 4,000. Um, the first one comes from Luke chapter 9. Is there someone who would like to read it for us? Don't all rush. comes from Luke chapter 19 to 17. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming, welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, and find lodging, and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so, and he had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Thank you, Mike. So that's, that's the first story we're going to unpack. Um, some numbers mentioned there. Indication of, of where it was is perhaps further down. Um, but let's look at the next one, which comes from Mark chapter 8. And we'll read the first nine verses of Mark chapter 8. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. 
If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. Okay, so those are two, I think, relatively well-known stories. Have you guys heard that before? You heard that before, right? I think maybe there are some folk who, I know in the past I've encountered some people who say, Jesus fed 4,000 people? I thought it was just 5,000. Where does 4,000 come from? Is there, is there anything that's, that strikes you just from the plain reading of that? Something that stands out to you? Jared notes just the, just the, the fact that the, the, it's described there that Jesus had compassion. Which quite interestingly, in a lot of the other stories where there are miracles taking place, it doesn't really point out that Jesus had compassion. So these two stories are quite distinct in that it gets mentioned that Jesus has compassion on these people. Perhaps something else? Okay. Um, now, now these two accounts, what they, what they present to us actually isn't something that's completely or entirely new. In fact, it's something that God's people had encountered before. Um, because there's a sense in which these stories are retelling for us some stories that we had encountered in the past. Um, for example, the one in Exodus chapter 16, where, um, remember back in the Old Testament when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness without food, and every day Yahweh dropped this brand new food called manna, a kind of a wafer-like bread. He dropped that from heaven, and he worked that miracle every day. And then there's the story in Second Kings chapter 4, where through Elisha, God multiplied 20 loaves of bread, um, which turned out then enough to feed 100 men, and they had some left over as well. And then, of course, besides that, there's all the other times throughout Scripture when God provided for his people. And on top of that, there are all our own testimonies of how God made provision for us. So we are familiar with the idea that God is able to multiply things that we require or that we need. Now, one of, the, one of the statements or the signs that Jesus is doing here in both these accounts that is he's proving to these people that he's from God, but furthermore than that, he is God. Now, now let's look at a, at a few points from these two accounts by themselves first, and, and then we'll hold them side by side and see the comparisons and the differences that exist and see what we can draw from that as it relates to mission. Let's start with a, with a feeding of the 5,000. 
So as we saw there in the text, Jesus takes his disciples away to what is described there as a desolate place, somewhere that was quiet, far away from everything, and he takes them there to stop and to rest for a bit. I think there's also some value in in recognizing that Jesus had just heard about his cousin's murder. Um, John the Baptist had just been beheaded, and Jesus had received the news around this time. And so he wanted to also just get away, to just take a moment just to process what that meant. And then there was, of course, all these crowds of people that just kept coming. They kept following them around. It was um, in, the f- in the four accounts, as they are mentioned in the Gospels, John mentions that it was close to Passover time. So there would have been a lot more people in that area than before because people were getting ready to go to Jerusalem to celebrate that. So there were lots of crowds and people that just kept coming to see this guy um, who they had heard about before. And so they were, they were in fact waiting for him on the shore. They saw him and they tracked with the boat along the shore and as they came to beach the boat they were they were there. Now, this particular account um, happens, and I just need to be honest about this. There's actually a little bit of um, uncertainty about the exact site. Um, Pastor Andrew's going there in a few weeks' time. He can, <laughs> he can come back and tell us where the exact site is. Um, but Luke says it's in the area of Bethsaida. Um, so this is, a, this is a map of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it is believed that this happened on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. This here is a, is a picture of, um, it was around the, the springtime, taken quite recently, of where it is believed is the traditional site where Jesus fed the 5,000 people. Now, just a f- little bit back from this picture, there's actually a church that has been built there. The church that's there now is quite recent. It was built in 1982. Um, but the church was built on top of the ruins of, an, of a Byzantine church that dates back to 400 years after Jesus. And on the floor of, this, of the ruins is this mosaic And the mosaic there quite clearly has the two fish and the five loaves. That's 400 years after Jesus. So so this is believed to be the site of of where Jesus um, fed these 5,000 people. Now these crowds of people on on the western shore, this is the western side here, these people were all religious Jews. Now, these were people who acknowledged and worshipped Yahweh. They kept all the laws of the Torah, and they would have understood then also to a greater degree the teachings of Jesus, because they would have had the Old Testament background to lean on. But Jesus, despite being in need of rest, he has compassion on these people. So again, these people here on the western side here, they are all religious Jews, and it's believed that that's where that happened. This whole section here, the Jordan River runs at the bottom here somewhere. 
and the Jewish section that was under the rule of um, of Herod and Herod Antipas stretched all the way around until there becomes mountainous there. So this whole section here was under the rule of Herod, and um, as I said, they were all Jews. Jesus has compassion on these people, and it says there, as they appear like sheep without a shepherd. And he spends, as the, the text tells us there, he spends the better part of the day teaching them many things. It gets late, and the disciples tell Jesus to actually send these people away. Um, because they were in a place that was far from anything. Obviously, there was no pick and pay back then. No shops nearby, nothing to, for where, they could, uh, where these people could find anything to eat. So the disciples just say, we need to send these people on their way now. Um, but Jesus challenges the disciples by saying to them, you find them something to eat. To which the disciples respond, actually, it seems like there's some sarcasm there in the way that they respond back to Jesus. And what they are actually saying here is, must we spend a half a year's salary to feed all of these people? Um, and that's what they say to Jesus. But Jesus then asked them how much they have, to which the response is, as we know, five loaves and two fish. He instructs the crowds to sit in groups of 50 and 100, more numbers. He blesses the bread and the fish, and he gives it to his disciples to hand out. And what Jesus provided for all these multitudes of people was so sufficient that there were 12 baskets left over. There's, an, there's another number um, that we need to note. 12 baskets left over. Now let's look at the feeding of the 4,000. This is a miracle that um, happens on the other side of the lake. It happens there, somewhere there. Now this is also a site people aren't exactly sure certain where it is. However, there is a monument that has been placed on that side of the lake. Um, so there is some kind of evidence that tells us that this year might have been where it happened. Now, as opposed to the western side here, this eastern side here is a region that was called the Decapolis. Decapolis means place of ten cities. Now, this region was populated by Gentiles, by pagan people. They were not Jews. They were not religious in the way that the other people were. And these people, as I say, they were largely pagan they, in their religious practice. And the ten cities were Greco-Roman in culture. And again, there, as we see in the scripture, it says that Jesus has compassion on this crowd as well. He says to his disciples, that they had been with him for three days, in verse 2 there, and had nothing to eat. That's quite substantial, eh? That people had been following him, listening to him for three days. These people who were not religious Jews. Now, apparently three days here, this number, also has significance 
in the way that it is recorded. Because three days in Jewish tradition is the length of a spiritual journey. If we think about that, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son after a three-day journey. Jesus was missing for three days when he was 12. Jesus was um, in the tomb for three days. On the third day, he rose. So there's some significance there, even as that gets mentioned. And so Jesus is worried about the welfare of these people. He says they were about to leave, and he was fearful that they might actually faint um, if they left. And then he again, he asks his disciples how many loaves of bread they had, and they reply, seven, another significant number that we'll look at. He directs the crowd to sit, he gives thanks, breaks bread, gives it again to the disciples to offer the people, and he does the same with a few small fish. Interesting that the number of the fish isn't mentioned there. The people eat until they are full, and again, there's leftovers, and there are seven baskets of leftovers left. Now, a point to note here is the, the similarity with some of the other stories we looked at, where Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Because here, in this account of the 4,000, Jesus is eating with Gentiles, and a lot of them. And this is something that the Jews would have avoided. According to the Jews, Gentiles ate impure foods. They came into regular contact with impure substances. And what is worse to the Jews was that these people committed idolatry and defiling sexual acts. But we see again here that Jesus welcomes fellowship with those who are not yet part of the community. Now, I think as we consider these two stories, the main point of these passages is the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. That's unavoidable. And as the Messiah, he can and will meet the needs of his people, who are Israel. And then also following on, he also meets the needs of those Gentiles, of those who are not essentially part of God's people, as it were. And this is something that he will do on the immediate occasion, as we see here, as he makes provision for these crowds of people, but is also an indication of what he will do at the end of the age. So it is a sign as much as it is a miracle. Now in these miracles, Jesus is he's modeling something. He is he's living, in fact, and he's demonstrating this prophetically in a very real way for us. Now I mentioned that these two stories here use numbers, and we, we'll just take a quick moment just to look at these numbers. Now the numbers for us don't mean a whole lot. I mean, for us, with our Western perspective, the mention of these numbers and these indi these, this indicates some detail that we might find helpful um, or interesting. But to the Jews, it had a lot more meaning, a lot of depth 
that is attached to the fact that these stories are being recorded and these numbers in particular hold some value to them. Now, in the feeding of the 5,000 religious Jews, um, we have the numbers two. There are two fish. There are five loaves, 12 baskets, and then there's the groups of people, the 50 and the 100. And in the feeding of the 4,000, we have the number seven. We could add the number four to that, but we, we won't do so today. So we have in these two stories, these two people groups being fed by Jesus, and the numbers that are mentioned in the stories are different, even though it's relatively similar in the storyline. Now the two fish may be pointing something to us regarding the two tablets with the commandments. The five loaves point to the Torah, the five books of Moses, the 12 baskets that are left over in some way relate to the 12 tribes of Israel represented by the religious Jews on the western side of the lake. And then the 50 and the 100 groups come from the Exodus account when Moses divided people into similar groups as they were going out. And so all of the numbers that get mentioned here, though it might not mean a whole lot to us, they have a lot of significance to Jewish history and Jewish culture. And so there's value in us taking note of it. And what is happening here is I think that Jesus is pointing to the fact that he is the bread of life as is mentioned in John chapter 6. He is the word, the Torah, if we could use that language, that has become flesh, that feeds God's people, the 12 tribes. And he is sufficient not only for their immediate need, but there will actually be extra left over in baskets. And as we go across to the other side, there are different numbers there, again, this region, the Decapolis across the lake there, as, a, as we looked at, is this area where the nations that the Israelites drove out of the promised land as they came in, this is where those people settled. There's a town there on the eastern side where Jesus drove out the demons from the possessed man into pigs. You remember that? Now this town is called Gerushim. Now, Gerashim in the Hebrew means the driven out ones. So on that side there, we have this reality of these people who had been driven out. They had settled on that side of the lake. And the nations of peoples driven out by the Israelites add up to the number seven. We read about that in Acts and in Deuteronomy we see there how the number seven is quite significant in recording the amount of nations that were driven out. And so the seven year relates to those people. The number seven represents also, I think, the seven nations of the world. It also speaks of the completeness of God's plan, both for the Jews 
But in this case, also for the pagans, for the Gentiles, for those who had not been included in the understanding of God's people. And so the seven baskets of leftovers seem to be pointing us to those people who are not initially included in God's called out ones, if we use that language. Now, even at this stage in the ministry of Jesus, we see how big his vision is and how challenging the mission is. And Jesus, again here, he uses the provision of a meal to communicate, I think, a profound message that reaches even into our time today. If we think about who those are that are part of the community and who those are that we believe are not part of the community. And what is it that Jesus is modeling for us here? In this story that we've heard over many, many times before, and will hear again in the future, of how Jesus makes provision for people. And he makes provision for those who we are okay with, but also for people who we may not be okay with. Now, I've heard many sermons about how Jesus fed the 5,000, maybe not so many about the 4,000. And I expect to hear many more in the future. But I want to mention, just as we close, three points that stand out to me. Now, this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is actually the only one that gets mentioned, this, the only miracle that gets mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And each one of the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they place emphasis on different things based on what they believe is of greater importance to the people who they are writing to. So some points that stand out to me are this. I think John, when he records this story, is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. He is the Messiah. Matthew points us to the fact that as followers of Jesus, we must learn to identify hungry souls. And when we see them, and upon seeing them, we must be ready to be used to feed hungry souls. Luke then says that while being on mission with Jesus, we must learn not only to accept hospitality, but also to give hospitality in Jesus' name. And then Mark finally points us to a very challenging truth, according to him, that Jesus is able to transform our selfish faithlessness into compassionate self-sacrifice. Now, towards the end of the, of the story, if we continue to read a few verses there, Jesus challenges his disciples, and he mentions these two accounts. And what he says to them is that they need eyes to see. The disciples were in the boat, and they were arguing about, you know what they're arguing about? That they don't have any bread. Just read there in Mark chapter 8 from verse 17 on. They're arguing about that. And Jesus challenges these people, don't you see 
Don't you have the eyes to see, the ears to hear what it is that I am calling you to? Because one of the things that stands out for us here is that as Jesus fed those 5,000 people, there were 12 baskets over. Interestingly enough, there are also 12 disciples. So when we go on mission with Jesus, we need to take courage in the fact that he will make provision for us. And the provision that he makes for us will be enough not only for the immediate moment, but we actually might have left over as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us to be on mission with you. We thank you, Lord, for that amazing and awesome privilege to be called your ambassadors. And so, Lord, as we continue to think about even this picture of how you send us into spaces where others might not feel comfortable that you go with us. And as you go with us, you make provision for us. We thank you, Lord, that even as we continue to wrestle in our own lives with what it is that you are saying to us, what it is that you want us to see, that even in those moments you come alongside us. And Lord, we ask for more moments like that. We ask for more moments that we would clearly hear your voice speaking to us, that you would clearly give us vision to see what it is that you are calling us to. And we desire that because we desire that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.